Rob, that's a good... Welcome, one and all, to episode 106 of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me, as always, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, uh, we creep closer to the 2021 NFL Draft. Uh, By the time this is out, we'll be 23-ish days away uh it's it's getting here slowly but surely but this is always kind of the grind period where you know you're finalizing your rankings you're getting you're getting your you know thoughts together and you're kind of seeing you're building your kind of big board as teams are building their big boards yeah we heard it heard it today uh, i think from greg gabriel in a tweet former pro personnel man and uh He's a guy, a lot of people don't like him because he's salty on Twitter, but he does have experience with these type of things. And he tweeted that teams are finalizing, teams are all getting their draft team together, meeting and finalizing those boards, uh, starting that process this week so that by the time the draft rolls around in a little over three weeks, everything's going to be set. We think that there are a couple teams up at the top of the draft who at least know who their pick is going to be. And we talked about that last week in the in regards to the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence and the Jets with Zach Wilson, that seems to be pretty solid. We talked a lot in last week's show about who's going to go number three now that San Francisco's traded up for that. So if you want to hear us talk about that and you haven't already, go back and listen to last week's show, episode 105. But back to the Jets, um, it seems pretty solid now that they're going to take that quarterback after all. I mean, if we had any doubt they removed all doubt today. Um, for the second week in a row, we're talking trades. And this one just went down on Monday. And that is the Jets trading Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. So, in a way, this could take two teams that are drafting in the top 10 out of the quarterback. Or, or it could tell us more where they're going for quarterback for the 2021 season. We've got the Jets who... Almost assuredly now we'll draft a quarterback. Zach Wilson seems to be the the major favorite there uh, at number two, and now Carolina maybe they're signaling they're gonna they they traded for Darnold they picked up his fifth year uh, option, so it seems like they're signaling that they don't feel like they're gonna get a shot at the quarterbacks that they would like, and they're ready to move move forward with, with Sam Darnold with Joe Brady as his coach. So that was good a good trade. Um, if you don't think you can get one of these top quarterbacks, they give up a second round pick. They give up, um, sixth round pick and a fourth round pick. Let me make sure I have that right. It was a 2021. Yeah. It's a six round pick in this draft and then 2022, a second and a fourth. Right. So it seems like, you know, if you're, if you're talking about quarterbacks, you're really not worried about giving up that fourth round pick, that sixth round pick. So the second round pick is the big one. Who can you get at quarterback in the second round? If you want to listen to our opinion on that, you can check out the Patreon show that we did last week. Uh, just two bucks a month. But uh, it doesn't seem, you know, long story short, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a great choices in the second round of this draft. So when you put it in context like that, you're taking a flyer on a guy who's only, what, 15 months older than Mac Jones? Yeah, and so you just... You watch how this usually comes together, together, and it becomes obvious that teams will take a chance on guys if it means not giving up a first-round pick. Um, I tweeted it out today after the Darnold trade went down. Uh, you look back, obviously, the, the Arizona Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen 10th overall in the same class, and they got a second and a and a fifth round pick they gave up a first a third and a fifth to move up so they basically gave up 
essentially a first round pick to move up. I mean, that's, I mean, in essence, that's, that's it. They just exchanged first round picks um, because they got back a second and a fifth for Darnold. Um, obviously they missed out on a player, but that's, you know, when you look at what the, what the, or for Rosen, sorry. When you look at what the Jets got for Darnold, we, you have to remember that they traded a first and three second round picks for for Sam Darnold or the right to draft Sam Darnold. Two of those picks were or are all pro players in in uh Quentin Nelson and um the linebacker whose name's Darius Leonard. So I mean it, it's one of those things that it, it's funny how you can look at a, all, you know, a similar-ish trade in, in Darnold and, and Rosen, and you're like, it's amazing that Steve Kime got anything for him. And then with Darnold, it's like, it's like, well, they're just taking a flyer on him, and you know, they didn't really give up much to get him. <laughs> like, like just the way it's broken down <laughs> and, and and looked at, because you've got three years of not great film. I mean, let's be honest. And not only that. And and I think it was Emory Hunt, our buddy at uh, FB or F F Ball Game Plan on on Twitter, um, that that said it. The biggest thing for Darnold, more than anything else, is he's got to show that he can play sixteen games in a season. I mean, this guy has had a propensity to just miss games. Uh, we all know the meme about the the mononucleosis. Um, <laughs> I think the, I think the Panthers used that meme in their trade announcement, which is hilarious to me. But I mean, you look at it: thirteen games as a rookie, thirteen games as a second-year player, where you thought you saw the growth, and then uh, twelve games last year, where you know it was it became obvious that the the relationship just wasn't going to work. Like you said, the Panthers have already agreed to you know pick up his his fifth year contract. So they're going to be on the hook for a boatload of money. But interestingly enough, they're still on a, on the hook for a boatload of money for another quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. I mean, that kind of puts them in a similar situation to Miami when they acquired Josh Rosen, you get to see what, what you might have in this former early first round pick, um, a player who in both cases, a team traded up to get that guy. And then eventually uh, gave up on him after time. Uh, it was a lot quicker with Rosen. So, I mean, that was, I agree with you. It was more impressive to see the Cardinals get anything for Rosen because they were so obviously dumping him after one season. Like they had just seen enough. Whereas with Darnold, <clears throat> you still thought there might be something to work with, or at least, you know, the Jets tried for three seasons. So, um, that's with Carolina, they've got Teddy Bridgewater. So they, they're not married to Sam Darnold. They can see if he can beat out Teddy Bridgewater. If he can't, um, they're going to be probably bad enough to be in a position to maybe move for a quarterback next year. I mean, that's kind of the sticky situation that Matt Rule is in because you don't want to, you can't tank again. I mean, you can't, I don't think they tanked, but you can't tank when you're a, a new head coach. You might lose your job too. So I think this is a move that they're making where they think this is a, a player that they can work with. I think that he's a player who they think can beat out Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, and I think that no matter who they have, they feel comfortable with either starting quarterback and they, as they put pieces around them to win. So um, this, is a, this is the problem when you have the eighth pick in a quarterback draft where there are five quarterbacks that teams seem to be moving up for in that top, you know, five or six picks. So yeah. And our, our, our buddy Kyle Posey posed the question and I thought it was really intelligent and don't tell him I said that, but <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was really intelligent, you know, and he said, this, this tells you one of two things. Mac Jones is not going to make it number to number eight or, or Mac Jones is not as wanted as people said, because they believe 
a second for Darnold is better than the eighth pick for Mac Jones. So when you look at it from that perspective, and, and, what... and I don't not to interrupt, but I, I think that also means that that they might feel like their division rivals, Atlanta, sitting at four, are primed to to take a quarterback as well. Where we've seen uh, teams, where we've seen um, draft picks put players other than quarterbacks in that spot, it's almost like this signals to me that Carolina's convinced Atlanta is also in on quarterbacks. So one, two, three, four quarterbacks off the board before pick five. Well, and that's what my question became. So if so, if if it is a that Mac Jones is not going to be around, is that because? Detroit is taking him because they're, I mean, logically speaking, if, if the first four picks are, as you just said, Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, in some order, those last two, we know the Bengals and the Dolphins aren't going to take Mac Jones. So that leaves the Lions. Or are they worried about a trade up from a team like Denver? Um, I mean, Denver's really the only team that would make sense unless new England's moving up. Right. Yeah. And there's, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. There's heat on that idea that new England might move up. So it, I do think those first four teams and maybe Atlanta's the team that trades out of four, maybe they get a windfall and move, and feel comfortable moving out of four. So that another team can pick the fourth quarterback there. But yeah, Carolina's saying pretty loud and clear that whatever quarterback they whatever quarterbacks they'd be interested in will be gone or they're not interested in risking having the the fifth one not fall to them and they have no plan B for Teddy Bridgewater you know i i think this takes them out of quarterback but who knows maybe if one of these maybe if a fields actually does fall because of some of the you know, rumblings that we're hearing about some of the fictional narratives that are out there. Maybe he does slide and Carolina says, Whoa, we got to take him too. I, I kind of doubt that, but at the very least they're protecting, they're hedging their bets with getting Sam Darnold. They don't think there's going to be a quarterback they want there. I think that's pretty clear. Anything else on, on the trade or this, uh, this movement in the, in the, early part of the draft. I mean, it, like you said, I I think this signals fairly strongly that four quarterbacks are going in the first four picks. But, I mean, obviously Atlanta's the, the monkey wrench in that whole situation. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't see how it's not um, a quarterback at this point if, if Carolina is basically throwing their hands up. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't. We talked about Miami last week. I don't think Miami's going to trade out of six. We don't think Cincinnati's going to trade out of five. So that does just leave Detroit. And uh, there's a good chance they would take a quarterback. You know, uh, Jared Goff is there now, but he wasn't good enough for uh, the Rams to to hang on to. So seems pretty obvious that Detroit's not really firmly committed to him either. So. We want to talk about uh, last week's pro days. There were a lot of big ones, and we can run through some of the risers, some guys who just kind of stayed status quo. Got a couple guys that maybe had a little bit of cringeworthy results, and then we had a couple guys that may have done some damage to their draft stock. If you want to read about Ohio State's pro day, I, of course, wrote about them on Patreon last week. You can sign up for 4 bucks a month. You can read that article and the other articles that we have up on the site. Plus, we have a bonus episode, the Lost episode, that uh, where we originally gave out some receiver rankings prior to the Pro Days. So check that out. Again, that's the $4 tier or what we call generational. So outside of Ohio State, as much as I'd love to talk about them, I won't do it again here. But we had a much-anticipated pro day in, uh, from LSU. We had two of the best receiver prospects test out last week, and they were amazing. Jamar Chase, of course, is, I think, the top receiver in the draft. Talked about with Ryan Lopes a couple weeks ago. 
on this show, and Terrace Marshall was the other one. Both of those guys were big-time recruits. Both of them ran sub 4 40s with Fields getting the NFLDraftScout.com blessing of a 4-3-4-40. Um, none of this really changes my opinion of these guys. I think NFL Draft Scout actually gave Terrace Marshall a 4-4 even on their official, but both guys jumped out of the gym as well. 41 inch vertical for Chase, 39 for Marshall, um, an 11 foot broad jump for Chase, 10 feet, five inches for Marshall. These guys were dominating. We're gonna talk about receiver rankings on the Thursday uh, or Friday Patreon show, the one that'll post later this week. But Seth, were, were you as uh, impressed with these guys? I mean, did did you need this pro day or is this just icing on the cake? Yeah, I thought, I mean, we talked about Jamar Chase quite a bit. Uh, I don't think we ever had any questions on his game. Uh, you know, I, so th that was more just, yeah, the icing on the cake, so to speak for him and, and being the top non quarterback in this class. Um, <clears throat> it's fun to go back and read those tweets though, that he can't separate or that he can't run. <laughs> Or that he's not athletic. I mean, it's, all of that is just pure fiction at this point. There's no objective way to say that anymore. You you would have to find like some you know single examples where a guy had him covered, but that doesn't mean that he he can't run or that he can't separate. He clearly has the athletic ability and the speed to separate pretty much from anybody in the league. And then Terrace Marshall. We've talked about Marshall a little bit. We're going to talk about him more on on the Patreon on Thursday. But, man, he's a guy that's – I just think he's, you know, a victim of circumstances. When you're the third best player on a team or third best player at your position on a team that has three potential all-pro caliber players in Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and, and, uh, and then Terrace Marshall – that's it's just tough and and it's unfair for him but i think a team i don't think he gets out of the first round at this point i've talked to people that agree with me that if he he, he could be the guy at 16 and it and you're not going to bat an eye because he is a similar obviously not quite as tall but he is a similar type of player to like an aj green uh that just linear long lean athlete that is just it he makes it look easy he, obviously he's not as big as green um but he's he's got that just same type of build and length and then smooth athleticism that's just you know it's just not something that you find in a lot of prospects and, and i just i i didn't need to see that he was a sub four four or, or a four four guy but you had to you had to come away impressed. He comps out well athletically to former first round pick Javon Walker, and you 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 were right. He was a victim of circumstance where he was on the same team as Chase and Justin Jefferson on that 2019 national championship team, and then 2020 after Chase opted out, Marshall becomes the top dog. And just listen to what he did. He he did end up getting banged up and opting out after I think seven games, but what he was doing before that, before that opt-out, he was averaging almost seven catches a game, 15.2 yards a catch, and he scored nine touchdowns. He, he was averaging over a touchdown per game. So he was on his way to dominating just like Jefferson, just like Chase had done the year before with much worse quarterback play and where teams knew that he was the top dog. Like there was no... Other, we saw freshman Keishon Butte emerge after Chase opted out, but there was no second fiddle. Chase was the guy, and I mean, I'm sorry, Marshall was the guy this year, and and when he did play, he was flat out dominant. So the the uh, the production matches the athleticism. He was a five star recruit, and he's I think you're absolutely right. He's a, a guaranteed first rounder at this point. When you look at the guys from Florida, I don't think we had many questions on their athleticism. Uh, 
But they definitely showed that they're beyond athletic. Um, Kadarius Tony, we can start with him. We, again, we never questioned his athleticism. We didn't question his speed. But we did wonder if he'd be that straight line fast because he, he, he almost looked a little bit quicker than fast. And then he came in and, and had a great 40 time ran well, jumped really well. Um, were you more surprised by Tony's numbers than, than maybe even like a Jamar chases? Yeah, yes. In that, uh, I think I called him quicker than fast when we were talking about senior role practices, uh, and just when you and I talked about it and, um, I may have even tweeted something about that or said it on another show, but, um, because of his lower body strength and that, that creates that explosiveness, that 40 inch vertical, I think that a guy can train up to run a 40 like that. And so he does run a four sub four on uh, Florida's pro day. And the, the question about Tony is that he wasn't super productive until he was a senior and you don't, you didn't have Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase on those teams blocking his path, but you do have to, acknowledge what he did do as a senior and uh you know this is a guy who again is another guy averaged over six catches a game averaged over 14 yards a catch and over a touchdown per game this year and used in a number of ways so i think our 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 pals in fantasy football twitter um and draft and dynasty fantasy football twitter are just going to have to face the facts that regardless of what their metrics say about him He's not their ideal prospect because of late breakout age or college dominator, but they're going to have to face the fact that some team's going to draft him early, and maybe he is going to go in the first round now, like we've seen him mocked many, many times in the top 20, 25 picks. They're going to have to face those facts, and when they're drafting, it's going to have it's going to come down to an internal struggle in their heads of draft capital, what they call draft capital, which is how early a player is drafted in the real draft. And those metrics that they like to use, I personally would probably uh, just swallow my pride and uh, and take Tony in somewhere in the first round of a fantasy dynasty league draft if uh, he does end up going in the first round. And I don't think there's any way he gets out of you know the top 50 picks at this point. So this is a guy who's going to get touches early in his career. Kyle Pitts. Never really a question mark on his athleticism from anybody. But he's maybe athletically going to go down as the best tight end prospect ever. I don't know if you can beat Vernon Davis. But athletically combined with the production that he put up, then you're talking uh, a, he might be a better overall prospect. And we know Vernon Davis went in the top ten. Pitts measured in just under 6'6", six, six, uh, which actually that was the surprising part to me. Uh, I knew I knew he was tall, but I figured he'd measure in about an, a full inch shorter at like 6'4 and a half, six, you know, 6'4 and 5'8". And so to come in at 6'5 and 5'8", that I was actually surprised by that. Um, we know about the wingspan. We know about the catch radius but he's got massive hands. Uh, As somebody said they were first baseman mitts or catcher's mitts or something like that. I think, I think the only guy with hands that size that I know of that play that catches the ball is Deandre Hopkins. Hopkins measured in, I I'm pretty sure like some ungodly number um, for his hands as well. So you look at it um, and then he goes out, runs a four, 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 40, um, vertical jump was not the most explosive, but he had a, a good enough and then a good broad jump as well. Um, but like you said, with the, with the just insane production throughout his career, um, he's basically locked himself into a top, I would say six pick at this point. Yeah. He's going to be, he's, he's definitely going to be in the, in the top 10. Um, we'll see if, if Cincinnati, um, maybe wants to, to take him um 
maybe Miami. You know, one of those teams might have their eyes on him. And uh, we talked about Cincinnati choosing between Chase and a guy we're going to talk about in a minute, Penny Sewell. So if it's not Cincinnati or Atlanta, I certainly could see Miami uh, making a move on that. It'll be interesting if he falls out of that top six because then we said Detroit – I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Kyle Pitts is phenomenal. But can you invest two top ten picks on tight ends? No, that's and there Detroit becomes a uh, that that's where Detroit becomes you know puts quarterback in play for them. If the best player on the board's Pitts and their next best player is to take a quarterback, if their next best play is to take a quarterback, that's on the table. And then of course Pitts becomes a target for other teams to possibly trade up at that point too. Finally, the the other guy that really wowed at his pro day um zaven collins so it's funny to talk about pits and then go to collins because i guess that's what you're looking for if you have to defend kyle pitts right you're looking for a zaven collins type um yeah i think that's the point of collins a, a guy who's 260 pounds who can run um and now you look at the way he tests he certainly he certainly can he's not a 4-4 guy but now yeah, he's he's what you are gonna need to cover Pitts, but I think you can need you'll need a big safety to cover Pitts realistically, or a big cornerback. But you look at Collins; he came in six just a uh, just a hair under six five, two hundred fifty nine pounds for for an inside linebacker is kind of insane. Uh, you don't we rarely see guys that big anymore playing that position. Four six seven forty. Really good jumps, uh, 10-2 broad and a 35-inch vertical. And the I think the most interesting part of his pro day was that the Titans, the Tennessee Titans GM was down on the field working him through drills. Yeah, I mean, how many guys get that, get that kind of treatment? So I don't know if that's a, if that's a tell that Tennessee is really, really hoping he gets to them. This is a thing I've talked about with Collins, though. Uh, I often see, I often was seeing him mocked to the Cleveland Browns at 26. And I said on a number of occasions that I did not think that the Cleveland Browns would take a player at 26 that wasn't either A, a pass rusher, B, a cornerback, an outside cornerback. And I thought their C option was to trade back. So I didn't see them taking Zayvon Collins uh, to play linebacker because I don't think they value the linebacker position in that way. However, with the way that Zayvon Collins tests and the way that many draft Knicks are, are projecting him, you have a potential because of the size, because of the arm length, almost 34 inch arms, you have the potential to try and line him up and make him an edge rusher. That's not the way Tulsa used him, but there's a lot of versatility there. There's possibilities for Collins other than just playing linebacker. I think ultimately the attraction for me to Zayvon Collins is that he's this big linebacker who can run and and I I don't really love the value of linebackers in the first round but I think he solidified himself as a first round pick in this draft regardless of how I value that position because some NFL team is going to value him you've got and we'll we'll go to the next couple guys in a second but the one interesting thing on Collins, and I always perk up my ears, and I know that a lot of people like to make fun of Bill Belichick's drafting, but when I hear that the Patriots are, have interest in a guy and like what he brings, um, it always perks up. It always uh, perks up my ears when they're talking about what Zayvon Collins brings. Yeah, and it, it's just kind of. What I was talking about, like he is a player, they feel like they can move all all around the formation, all around the defense, and he can. They think he can run well enough to cover linebackers and tight ends. They think he can. Uh, he's athletic enough to rush the passer, and he's big enough to make make tackles. And he had a huge, he had a great, great season this year where he had four interceptions. He won, um, he won the award for best linebacker. So I mean, this is a dude who people are 
are very high on. So, again, regardless of where you or I or any other draft Nick values the linebacker position, it's very realistic that he's going to be a first-round pick. Well, and, I mean, we've talked about this that this class. I mean, you're probably going to have a guy like Michael Parsons and a guy like Zayvon Collins both go in the top 25 just because there's no, there's not a glut of edge talent, um, and it feels like – the cornerback talent is, you know, stacked too high. And then, and then there's a bunch of question marks. Uh, so it just depends on what you, what you're looking for. A couple guys that didn't hurt themselves, didn't really help themselves and didn't really change many minds on things. Uh, Penny Sewell, I guess when you factor in weight of a player, he had an impressive, um, pro day. But, I mean, for – it's always interesting because, you know, you get guys like uh, Tristan Wirfs and you get guys like Mekhi Becton that are much bigger uh, or, or much more athletic than Sewell. And, and we talk about those, you know, numbers. And then you get Sewell coming in and nothing popped off the chart but when you factor in the 331 pounds, people were really impressed with everything about him. Yeah, he's he's a strong guy that's very evident on tape, and he backs it up with his testing. He ran well. He jumped well. So that, again, that goes to the strength of the player. When you look at how tall he is, he's a little under 6'5". So he's a lot of tackles we see in the NFL are six five and over, um, and he's got. They talked all about his arm length the other day, which is just a little bit over thirty three inches. So I don't think that matters so much uh, on a tall guy when you're talking about a tackle. When you look at his shuttles, he runs those in a time that is considered average for offensive line. So I think a lot of NFL teams like to put players with that level of agility at guard or at right tackle and he, i was telling our, our producer robert this before the show when, when examining the build you know that under six five at 330 plus pounds with that arm length the way he plays like a mauler like a like a bouncer at a bar the way he takes people out you don't see a guy that's crazy light on his feet but he's good. I mean, he, for 331 pounds, that, those are good times, right? But it, it does kind of make sense that Cincinnati might be honed in on him because they might have it in their mind to play him at right tackle. And then you've got Riley Reef and Penny Sewell as your bookends to protect the quarterback. And Joe Burrow, that guy's butt kicked repeatedly last year. So I, d- I don't necessarily think that the team... If Cincinnati is the team that's honed in on Sewell, I think they're going to move him to the right side, and that's that's fine. And he does; he's a good player. I think he's a bit overhyped. And I think five is a bit rich for for me when you're talking about an offensive lineman like this. But um, I think it's it is worth saying that why do people project Rashawn Slater, the Northwestern guy, as a guard, and not Sewell? as well why doesn't he get talked about in fact if you bring up Sewell and say guard uh, O-line Twitter is going to come for your ass you know they're going to come for you and they're going to tell you how wrong you are and how stupid you are and how people don't know how to evaluate O-line um so anything else on Sewell before we move to the next guy because I think the next guy is somebody who I I just am not on the same page as draft Twitter no uh and and that's the next guy we were going to talk about again that didn't really – I think if he would have uh, weighed in what he was listed at at, at Minnesota, it would have been slightly more impressive. But, but Rashad Bateman, um, the first red flag came when he measured – so at at Minnesota he was listed at 6'2", 210. Um, he measured in under six feet and a half inches six foot and three eighths and then he weighed 190 pounds 
So 20 pounds less than what his listed weight was. He ran the same 40 that we had heard before, the 439. Um, decent jumps at 36 inch vertical. I shouldn't say decent. Those are good. Those are solid jumps, 36 and then 10 feet, three inches. But it was the it was the size that was a bit of a bit of a it threw you off a little bit, no? Right. And and the the NFL draftscout.com adjusted speed for him was four four three. So he wasn't quite a sub four four guy. Thirty six inch vert you mentioned that's above average for a receiver, but this is a guy that's hundred and ninety pounds. Uh the the broad jump was average, the shuttle uh, the three cone was average. The short shuttle was a little below average, actually. So I think I think this really summed it up. Um, it was a tweet from Matthew Freeman, who is a fantasy football guy. He he does um, some work for. Uh, let me get this right. He's, he's at Matt F the Oracle. He's the content creator at Action Network HQ and Fantasy Labs. So I've talked with Matt. A number of times I, I've been on his podcast when he was back with Rotoviz. So, so uh, I liked this tweet. I thought it really summed up because we know fantasy Twitter has been all about Bateman from day one because he's young. He was young when he broke out. They thought he was faster than he really was. But uh, he says Rashad Bateman, listed size 6'2 and 210, pro day 6 foot and 190. We thought we were buying Devontae Adams, but we were sold Marquise Lee. And that, ironically enough, is the comp that I came up with for Bateman after I ran the numbers for him after his pro day, Marquise Lee. So I'm not—I've never said that Bateman's a bad player or anything like that, but I don't think he's a top five receiver in this class. And if you want to hear more about that, again, that's—we're going to talk about that in, in depth on the Patreon show later this week, but. Matt's tweet really summed up my feelings on it. I never felt like I was watching a, a guy that big. I never felt like I was watching a guy as fast as as some of these other guys we talked about, like Chase. He he just seemed like he was always either wide open or getting tackled soon after a slant. And he's got long arms. He can he can catch the ball. He makes a couple circus catches. He's a good player, but he's a very average sized receiver. He's at what we would call jag size, just a guy. And then he has those couple of numbers, that's that 40 time, that uh, vertical that are above average that might set him apart, bump him up into day two. But he's not a first-round pick to me at all. He never was. Then we look at a couple of guys that were had, had some question marks. The first one will stay with the wide receivers, Tylen Wallace. Um Again, it it comes down to just not quite getting to where your the expectation was for him. Uh, not by any means did he have a bad day, but I think everybody was expecting a little more. Yeah, Tylen is in that that just a guy size range too. So you need something to really set yourself apart. And I will say this, Tylen Wallace looked like the smoothest receiver of the whole crop of receivers at the Senior Bowl practices. He looked like a natural that just knows how to play the position. I thought he had a great uh, I thought he had a great bounce back season after the ACL injury that he suffered in 2019 and his production is like is definitely there. But he run, he ran up 4-5 even. His uh, explosiveness, he, he, like I said, he's a smooth guy. He's not an explosive guy. But he is a, a really heady receiver. So I think the NFL, I don't know. I don't know what the NFL is going to value in this guy because he, did, he was coming off that injury. He's probably one of the 150 or so guys that are going in for the medical checks this week, and that's going to have a lot to do with it. Uh, he's still a guy I like a lot as far, you know, even taking him on the back end of, like, day two. Late, late third round, early fourth round. Um, but, you know, he, he's not going to be a, a – he's probably going to be like a wide receiver three on an NFL team. He's not going to be a first or second option for most NFL teams, or at least they're going to – they might be in some trouble if, if they try and make him that guy. Another guy, Christian Barmore, um, turned out 
he's really massive. We knew that, though. Uh, he, you know, again, not terrible numbers, um, but I think when you look at the size, it wasn't exactly um, – it wasn't a guy that is completely dominant. Would you agree with that? He's just he's a he's a typical power player, defensive uh, interior defensive lineman from Alabama, a guy who racks up production because of the scheme of their defense, and um, he's a, he's a clearly a strong guy, although he didn't fully work out, but he's a guy who's just lacking in that lateral movement, so he's not going to. He, he kind of became the de facto defensive tackle one in this class because of his production that he puts up at Alabama. But you had to raise an eyebrow. If you watch those games, you see how, again, their scheme creates a lot of opportunities for these guys. And over and over and over and over again, we see draft Knicks being very, very high on these Alabama interior linemen with mixed results. So I don't think Barmore's going to be a terrible player by any means. But he um we have kind of a an inter- a very lacking defensive interior class and i think some of these more athletic smaller defensive linemen that are playing on the interior we'll get into it in a, more in a couple weeks when we do our our d-line rankings but i think those are the guys that are going to end up having better nfl careers if they can create more pressure on the quarterback and i don't th- i don't think barmore is really that guy Two guys that underwhelmed um, from the same some, school in some aspects, and we this is this school is pretty notorious for their their numbers being a little too much for their players in terms of height and weight, and then them coming in well under uh, Louisville. Uh, J- running back Javion Hawkins and wide receiver Tutu Atwell. We'd even seen Tutu Atwell getting first-round talk. Um, and we've definitely seen a lot of second-round talk for Tutu Atwell. Let's start with Hawkins. Uh, we'll f- a hair over 5'8 and 180 pounds. So, again, not bad numbers, but at that size, you wanted something special wouldn't you agree at, at that size <clears throat> and knowing that he ran a sub 44 in high school at that size you needed to see a sub 44 and you, you did, we didn't get it we saw a uh, 446 which it was really disappointing to me it kind of broke my heart a little bit because i i really had hopes for him to uh, be one of the fastest running backs in the class it didn't pan out uh at 183 pounds you're pretty well not going to see that uh, top running back role. So you're, you're looking at a player who's only going to be attractive to certain teams and certain schemes. Now, I think he was he had been uh, dealing with some leg injuries, and that may have affected his time. I ultimately still think Hawkins is faster than this. He was listed at closer to 200 pounds, so to see him come – in closer to 180 pounds was a little bit surprising to me because I thought when he wasn't, when he didn't get the four, three time that he maybe was coming in a little heavier to trying to meet a certain weight. That wasn't the case. And so you've just got a really small running back here. That's going to be attractive to only a handful of teams, I think. And that's going to push him well into day three. I'd probably start looking at Hawkins. I, I really like him. But I, I probably wouldn't look for him until the fourth round, late, mid to late fourth round at the earliest. And even then, I, I might have a hard time pulling the trigger that at that point. So it really, it's really disappointing uh, and speaks kind of to the running back class as a whole that we are just not getting any like star power out of the running backs. The best running back in this class, Najee Harris, didn't work out because he's still uh, about he's still coming back from the ankle injury so it looks like Najee Travis Etienne and the rest and we'll talk more about that on Thursday and then you have 
the diminutive, and I think that's putting it nicely. Two two at will five, just under five nine, one hundred and fifty five pounds. So coming in in a four three range, he had to. But one hundred and fifty five pounds makes Devonte Smith look big. I mean, and he didn't. He didn't right. Like he, he didn't get that forty time that we wanted. One hundred and fifty five pounds. I guess he did run a four three nine. So. Um, but we were told that he might be like a high four two guy, so it he is a very quick shifty player and he does have that speed, but he is so tiny that again I I, I just would have a hard time taking it especially because this is a good receiver class. There are a lot of positions lacking this year. But receiver's not one of them. You have a lot of receivers to choose from, and I can't imagine picking a 155-pound guy before a lot of these guys go off the board on day two and day three. I mean, in the second and then in the third round. Uh, he definitely has no business being in the first round. And the only comparison we have for him is uh, former Arizona Cardinal great J.J. Nelson. Who ran who, like a tenth of a second faster. Yeah, four two eight. He measured yeah. in. Um, an inch taller at 510 but was 156 pounds so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know harp on the two or the one inch difference when you're talking mm -hmm. about 155 pounds <laughs> and, and we saw jj have like a, there was a glimmer there that jj nelson was gonna be something and, and it didn't he didn't take a hold of it and i think tutu atwell is just like we talk about betting on outliers in this class and this is a outlier to the extreme that I just wouldn't be able to uh, stomach. Anything else from pro days that you wanted to hit on before we head into the, the hot takes from this week? No, we, we have a few pro days left trickling in uh, this week, but none of, um, most of the big schools, most of the stars are done. So this is where, and I think that goes back to the Greg Gabriel tweet. This is where, we're all getting together, huddling up and talking about, you know, setting the board, setting that final board and seeing where things land. We'll, uh, we'll be right back to discuss this week's hot takes. We're back on the original Draft Breakdown podcast, and, and it's time for hot takes. And this week, one of our good friends the godfather gilbrandt um just just tweeted out on monday if you pin me down and force me to pick between trevor lawrence and zach wilson i might pick wilson <laughs> it's that close for me honestly i'm surprised the jaguars new head coach didn't show up with byu's pro day We've talked about the quarterbacks, and so we did, you know, our quarterback rankings on the Patreon last week. <laughs> but really, I mean, we're we're still doing this with the Zach Wilson thing. We're still doing this with the pro day thing. Like, Urban Meyer pretty much took that job so he could take Trevor Lawrence. Any anything that anything any name that's not Trevor Lawrence is going to be a massive upset. It'll be like Appalachian State. Or I'm sorry, Appalachian State beating the Michigan Wolverines when they were a top ten team. I mean, this it's I don't know who tweets for Gill these days. I mean, there's always been speculation that's an intern at, or something. Gill is a guy who's who's decorated as a personnel guy, but uh, he's had some some kind of weird takes over the years. I think somebody followed up with with that by tweeting that uh, he said he had a, a couple of quarterbacks, uh, the only two senior quarterbacks that uh, he had that were top 50 players heading into this year were among them were, was uh, Hunter Johnson, who was at Notre Dame. I'm sorry, at Northwestern. And he had been a Clemson transfer, and I don't think he saw the field. And when he did see the field in 2019, he was it, it did not go well. So... This is weird. This is a weird take. Um, maybe it was a little chance to take a little dig at Urban Meyer for skipping the all-important holy pro day, but 
I, I mean, we, these pro day things, it's just silly. It's like, you know, we've seen these guys throw and I get it uh, because maybe because people weren't able to travel this much because of COVID this year, that pro day was an important time to see a guy live. However, they hype up pro days every year. It's not, it's not just a 2020 thing. It's a pro day is given this massive importance when it comes to quarterbacks every year. And that's when you get takes like this, but we're three weeks out. So we got to have something to talk about, I guess. Any other uh, hot takes from this week from you? I've got another one. We're going to save that for Thursday because it's one from a scout that we talked about, a former scout that we talked about on our, I think, inaugural Patreon show. He had a blazing hot take about Trevor Lawrence. And this week he's got a blazing hot take about another quarterback who's mocked in the top five. So I'm going to save that one for Thursday. But uh, as always... I appreciate all the Patreons that have signed up already. And to all of you that listen on the Tuesday shows, we appreciate you as well. Please, if you like the show, give us a five-star review. You can listen to us on iTunes, on on Spotify, on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Player.fm. And uh, we have these shows coming up again there on Tuesdays. And Thursdays generally, sometimes Tuesdays and Fridays. But uh, we want to give you the best content we can. We're in the home stretch. We're going to be giving out rankings. Those are primarily going to appear on the Patreon site from here on out. But we have a lot of great stuff to talk about. And we'll get some guests on here in the future. So please listen, subscribe, give us a rating. We appreciate every bit of it. And thanks as always for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. What do you guys think for the outro for now? Um, I mean, I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um